these things take time. You can't walk in one day and say, hey, I want to sell my practice and three weeks later expect to be done. From Spa Dameron Tenney, it's the Prosperous Doc Podcast. Real stories, real inspiration, real growth. A show for doctors who are ready to improve their overall wellness in every aspect of life. Now here's your host, Shane Tenney. All right, welcome back to uh, the Prosperous Doc Podcast. My name is Shane Tenney and glad to have you back with us. If you're in the dental space at all, you know that it is hot almost hotter than the real estate market right now with a lot more buyers than sellers. And we have been getting a lot of questions over the last several months, over the last year about those transitions and maximizing value and what's involved. And so we decided it was high time to bring on an expert. I'm excited to have Doug Koppel with me today. Doug is one of the partners at Benson Koppel, which is a valuation and transition firm based out of Greensboro, North Carolina. Doug's early career, I think he ran the gauntlet in audit at Ernst & Young and uh, KPMG, and now oversees their team in working with, uh, specifically with orthodontists around the country when going through the valuation and, and transition process. Real committed to high quality work and numbers and reports. And I think all that you know, really leads into the reputation they have in helping to just facilitate effective and shorter negotiations and greater probability of closing the deal, which is the most important thing, I think, Doug. And so with that, we'll, we'll dive right in. Doug, thanks for being with me today. Shane, thanks so much for having me. It's an honor and pleasure to be, be with you guys today and looking forward to sharing some information. Yeah, for sure. So I tried to give a little uh, running start here, but why don't you tell a little bit about the, your group, what you guys do, and kind of your area of specialty. Yeah, thanks, Shane. So we are a boutique firm, very similar to yourself. We have about uh, 10 or 11 people on our, on our team, depending on what day of the year it is, I guess. We really saw ourselves in the orthodontic space. We're orthodontic specific. We touch some pedos and GPs every once in a while, but orthos really are our bread and butter. We are, we're involved with 50 to 60 transactions a year, at least on the ortho side. And our firm really provides evaluation, transition, recruiting services for orthodontists. So it's any change of ownership, we're also now, over the last several years, recruiting has become a big deal for us too, where if a doctor wants to add an associate to their practice or find a buyer or a partner for their practice, it was always been change of ownership, but we also added just associate orthodontic placements. We've always historically focused on one doctor practices or two or three doctor practices with partnership deals or selling their, their businesses. But uh, over the last four or five years, We've really got involved too with some of the DSO or private equity space because we have a lot of clients who are looking at that. As you as you just said in your in your intro, there dental space has been a really hot market. So we've been involved with a lot of those deals and know a lot of the players that are out there. I would still say that uh, the majority of our of our time is spent with individual doctors with their with their private practices, but we are getting involved in that larger space of private equity and, and corporate mm-hmm. groups. What's driving the, the increase in demand? What, what do you see as the primary factors that have made the, the dental space so hot? I would say it's a combination of things. Some of it is, this is really the normal life cycle of a lot of businesses. You know, it starts out with the innovators and then they make it into a business. And then uh, you have uh, individuals that get in, involved in that business and, and love the space. And then people realize, hey, this is a hot market. There's a lot of profit margin. And there's time to consolidate it and make more money off of it. You know, the people that aren't the, aren't, that aren't the specialists. I would say the large profit margins are a big, big deal. And I think private equity or business 
minded people look at individual dentists, orthodontists and say, hey, this is sort of an inefficient model. You know, you've got one doctor with maybe two or three locations. They can only be in, in one location at a time. So there's all this downtime that we can make it more efficient. I think that's some of it. So the profit margins are there. And I think a lot of the doctors look at this and say, I could use some help with doing some of these things. Honestly, the consolidation that we're seeing is happening really quicker than, than what we expected and what we saw. I mean, it's been in, here's again, speaking a little bit more about orthodontics itself. Heartland Dental is the biggest DSO that's out there that everybody knows about. Well, I think Heartland was, was actually created and founded in 1980. So they've been around a long time. And the corporate dentistry has really been only about 10, 15, 20% of the overall market. And uh, I think the latest numbers we were looking at this week was saying that they're estimating that by 2025, that maybe 55% of the dental world may be affiliated with, with DSOs. That seems pretty aggressive. I mean, five years ago, they were saying, yeah, it may hit 20, 25%, maybe 30%. And now we're seeing these larger estimates. So that's really what's driving it. Let's see, also in, in our space of orthodontics, I refer to DSOs. I'm going to say DSOs or corporate groups. I don't mean disrespect by that. Some people, some of the, those groups don't like being called corporate or DSOs. Just for the sake of conversation, I'll call them DSOs, dental service organizations. What we're seeing now too in our specialty are actually what we refer to as, as OSOs, which are orthodontic service organizations. Because there's actually probably seven or eight new firms that are created, that have been created through private equity or, or doctor groups that are orthodontic specific. And we understand that they're actually popping up in other specialties too, like oral surgery or even pediatrics. So we're seeing more of that now. There's um, Smile Doctors is the largest OSO, and it was created in 2015. And just to give you perspective on how quickly it's growing, and it's only less than six years old, and I believe they have over 300 locations now. There's a lot of growth in there. I could probably go on for days. One other thing I did want to mention too is just the, the resident base. The doctors that are coming in orthodontic residency, we do a resident survey every year of uh, all the residents in uh, the orthodontic programs. Usually have probably 40 or 50% of the residents respond to that. And five years ago, when we asked the question, do you want to own a practice or not, or your plans to own a practice? I think it was about 58% or so of the orthodontic residents said their plan was to own a practice and only about 25 or 30% said they plan to be employees in a private practice or corporate group. Now that's flipped. There's actually about 25% of the residents coming out say they plan to own a practice and 55 or 60% say they plan to go be an employee. Now that doesn't mean their long-term plan is not to own a practice, but there's definitely been a different situation there or mindset there with the residents coming out. And the DSOs or the OSOs are now starting to create some past equity for the younger doctors. So, you know, a lot of those things are coming together to continue to increase the growth in DSOs. And the money they're paying to the, to the selling doctors is not bad. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> right, right. Let's level set and, and maybe define your terms a little bit for somebody who's listening who's kind of not quite as familiar with the, the vocabulary here. Kind of the, um, the old one-to-one sale of older, experienced, senior practitioner, orthodontist in this case, wanting to find a successor, networks around, finds somebody who's younger and has the energy, and then they're working with a broker or some sort of transition consultant to sell that practice. That's kind of a conventional model, I guess, or, or that's at least the phrase that we use in our office, the conventional transaction. Break down a little bit into the nuts and bolts. What is a DSO or an OSO? What does that service organization, that model look like, and how did it come to be? 
I would say that the DSOs, the ones that we know of, were founded by typically a doctor founder or two. And how smile doctors are created, which is a funny story, actually. The smile doctors were created by Dr. Scott Law out of Texas and Dr. Dana Fender out of Georgia. And Scott Law was looking for somebody to help him with, I think, a side business that he had or an office, to be an office, maybe an office manager or CEO sort of his business, of his orthodontic business. And private equity guy named Scotty Hudsmith applied for the job. And he actually accidentally applied for the job. He didn't get the mean to apply to that one. But then he, he said, out of respect, he showed up for the interview and this sort of told Scott what was going on. And then they started talking to Scott, Scotty Hudsmith going, man, this, this is a really great business, what you have. This is a, you know, he had a large practice. And then, so they got together and just, and just formed this. So really, there's sort of two types. There's doctor-owned DSOs, which are really backed by uh, debt financing and bank loans. And those, those doctors come together and they're, you know, they're personally guaranteeing that, that deal. And they're trying to find other practice to grow and to continue to be more efficient and offer HR services. And any type of administrative burns, they're trying to take that off the doctor so the doctor can focus completely on clinical services in their practice. Then you have the private equity-backed DSOs, which are, again, you have a private equity group that comes in, gives a lot of money to uh, the founding doctors or the, you know, the groups that are creating these. And then it's really a matter of they're going out and acquiring other practices that they can build out around them. So a lot of them have geographic areas they're looking for. They're sort of doing the, the hub and spoke type deal where they find a large successful practice in an area. And then they're really trying to use that platform to build out around it and create some density. They like the density. So they're creating, again, administrative services for the doctor. So the doctors can focus on clinical aspects. They're doing the HR. They're helping them with marketing. They're helping them with any digital service they're doing, helping them plan for technology. There's so many choices that are out there now that can be overwhelming for the doctor. So that way the doctor can and you hear the term all the time, you know, working on your business rather than in your business. It's so hard for a lot of doctors to, to work on their business. And so you know, the doctors look at this saying, man, this is an opportunity for me to focus really on clinical service unless somebody else deal with the other things. And with the growth in these service organizations, like I know there are many states that have been really slow to permit it, uh, even North Carolina, you know, that there, I think the dental associations just resist any sort of corporate ownership. And that seems to be, at least from my outsider perspective, seems to be kind of beginning to crumble. And we're seeing that corporate dentistry organizations pretty prevalent across the country now. Is that sort of what you're seeing as well? I would definitely say that. I know the, um, from what we hear, California can be a difficult state. I think it's Kansas is one that's a little bit more difficult. North Carolina has notoriously been difficult to get into, but uh, I can tell you they're coming. There's multiple ones that we know of that are that are trying to that are planning on closing some deals soon. Uh, I know Aspen is here in the state. Aspen is one of the I think top two is number two or number three DSO in the country behind Heartland, and they, I don't think they've acquired anybody. I think they've really done de novos and affiliated with uh, with dentists in the area. But yes, there's been a lot of pushback from certain states, but I think that will probably be changed over the next several years. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna make a little break here for a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to ask you a little bit about what are some of the things that people need to consider if they're interested in capitalizing on the momentum in the market right now. Summertime comes with a lot of change for those of you who are finishing your residency or fellowship programs and heading into private practice. 
whether you're going to be joining a hospital system or a medical group or becoming an associate with a dental practice, you know that there are a ton of financial decisions facing you, ranging from things like disability insurance, the right type, how much, questions about a home mortgage or how to finance it and what size house to purchase. Often there's questions around budgeting and taxes and definitely student loans, whether to go public service loan forgiveness or refinance them. All of these questions are addressed and more in the free Residents and Fellows Survival Guide that you can download in the show notes below or directly from sdtplanning.com under the free guides section. With this free guide written specifically for residents and fellows as they go through the transition phase, you'll be able to answer really important questions that will help you lay a solid foundation as you start this next journey of your career. If it's helpful for you, download it today. If you know someone who's finishing training, make sure to pass along this tip to them. You can click in the show notes below and download it or navigate directly to sdtplanning.com and navigate to free guides. And best of all, you'll have a resource in case you need future advice that would be helpful for you or your family. All right, so I'm here with Doug Koppel, transition specialist out of Greensboro, North Carolina with Benson Koppel. Doug, we've been talking about your practice's expertise in valuing and assisting with the transition in orthodontist practices. It's gotten everybody's attention. I think maybe just as much as if you're in that space, it's probably gotten just as much attention as Bitcoin and GameStop and, and some of the other headlines over the last couple of months. What are some of the things that people need to be aware of, maybe can do to repair or, or things they need to be thinking about if they're selling the practice sounds attractive or lucrative right now? Yeah, I think uh, the money is the big piece that, that lures everybody in, right? But I think you really need to think about why are you doing this? Okay. To step back a little bit, when this got involved and the DSOs became more and more prevalent, you know, I remember having a conversation with Dana Fender and being one of the founders of Smile Doctors. He was telling us what they expected was their, their target would be 55 year old doctors who had five years left and that could say, Hey, I would just, I want you to buy my practice and I'll be here for five more years. And then I've got a great exit strategy which can be a great exit strategy for that doctor in that situation. What they were really surprised about is the number of young doctors that were really open to this idea and really want to sell their practice and become part of the DSO. And so, for example, I, I had a couple clients now that we had been working with and we were talking about doing a partnership deal, actually been actively working on them with partnership plans. And then all of a sudden they tell me, hey, I just signed a letter of intent with XYZ OSO last week. Like, where did that come from? And so what we're really trying to understand is, is why they want to do this outside of the money. Just from the money piece alone, what you're talking about, a, tra- a conventional transition or a conventional practice sale where a doctor sells to another doctor, those practices typically sell for 80% of annual collections. So if you have a practice that you're, you know, you're producing a million dollars, it may sell for $800,000, right? And that's the same situation even if you're doing a partnership deal with a young doctor. Whereas a DSO... The sales price could be 100% of collections or sometimes two or three times collections, depending on your profitability, how big it is, and, and how long you're willing to stay and these other things. So the money is really, really tempting. What we try to answer, what we, we want them to understand is the money's one thing, right? Luckily, you're in a profession, orthodontists and dentists and doctors alike, 
you're all in a profession that if you look at your five-year plans over the next five years, whether you continue to own your practice and sell it to somebody else in five years, or you sell to a DSO and you take a much lower pay over the next five years, because that's typically what they're doing. In five years, you're gonna look pretty good. <laughs> you can 10 years, you're 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 still looking great, right? You're in a great profession that financially it's gonna be very, very rewarding, no matter what path you take. And we often do that with the doctors that are considering this is let's break this down because if you sell to a DSO for $3 million, well, you were historically making a million dollars a year. Now you're gonna make a $350,000 salary with this DSO. So you're going to take a big pay cut, but you get a big payout on the front end. And you got upside with the private equity and everything or the equity rollover that they'll have. And so our doctors are looking at, is the culture right? What burdens can you take off of my plate? I was just talking to a, to a doctor recently that I've known for over 10 years. We helped him buy his first practice over 10 years ago. Been actively working with him for two years now, creating a partnership plan so we can bring somebody in and take over some of the burden and, and continue to expand his practice. And he just signed a letter of intent with the OSI. His reasoning was, I never minded the management of my practice and the marketing and everything else. And he said, but honestly, COVID and the pandemic made a big, big deal to me. He said, there were so many things you had to deal with and so many emotional things. Take care of your, of your team and trying to determine, do I lay them off? Can I continue to pay them? What am I going to do there? The marketing that goes along with everything they had to change for COVID, they looked at that and said, that's a huge disruption. And then they realized it's always been a burden. So if I can have some of that stuff unloaded that I don't like to do, that's one thing to do. Also, there's honestly, there's a little bit of FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out. I mean, they're hearing their friends that are thinking about these, these deals and they have friends. It's a very tight knit community. They have friends that have been this now and they're telling them this is great, but you really want to look at outside of the money. Are you going to be happy? Or are you the type of person that you want to be in control? Are you going to be a good partner? Are you okay eventually having some things dictated to you? Okay. I know a lot of the OSOs say we won't change anything in your practice. We won't change the way you do things. The reality is at some point as they get bigger and bigger and they're looking at the next equity and investor that's going to take them on, they have to have some uniformity. Okay. And so there will be some things that change in your practice. Are you willing to do those things? Are you willing to be an ambassador for the brand? Because they're really looking for partners. They're not just giving this huge lump sum of money to the doctors in order for them to, to go off to the islands and not do work as hard as they used to. You know, So they're really looking for the right partners and you want to make sure you're, you're involved in that culture and look and you're willing to help them. And you, especially on some of these younger ones, you may be one of the leaders in that group that helps them decide what their future looks like and how they're going to operate. Even just thinking about everything that a practice owner deals with now. I mean, I think back, you know, I wasn't around 30 years ago, but when, when I think when orthodontists and dentists started their practice 30 years ago, you could hang a shingle and just go talk to people and be nice. And, you know, your practice grew. Now there's so much social media out there. There's so many more competitors. There's AI that can, that can straighten teeth now with the liners. And so, you know, small direct clubs and things like that. So just the marketing that you have to do, the social media that you have to be involved with, the consumerism that you have to really deal with to it's all about the consumer and making them happy. The technology choices you have now, there's so many different practice management systems you can do. So many different types of anything that's out there, texting-based platforms, digital platforms, just the choices that you have that are out there can be overwhelming. 
So if you can take that out, that's a really, again, that, I think that's a big piece for these young doctors. Mm-hmm. You were mentioning a minute ago, just overall, you're painting a picture of what I think a lot of people and, and perhaps most people listening are aware of, which is there is a market and the market that I'm most interested in is corporate dentistry for the mere fact that they have bigger pockets, the bigger pockets and a willingness to pay, as you said, you know, two, three, four, five times instead of one time our collections. And so there's a lot that goes into that heavily weighted by the money that's on the table, but, but also just the quality of life and what you're looking for and what you want. Talk a little bit about kind of the work back terms. You're getting a, a lump sum up front that makes the transition easier. As the saying goes, I think a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down and a spoonful of dollar bills does even more. But if you are younger and you expect to work for being in your career more than five years or that sort of thing, how much variability do you see in those kind of work back terms? We actually had a client that sold to a group just recently. And so just to give you the numbers in this practice, again, this is orthodontics and this is a fairly decent size orthodontic practice. He was producing $3 million a year. His operating expenses adjusted after you take out all the stuff he's running through the practice was just under 57%. So, you know, he's making about 1.3 million a year, okay, which is a great, great living, obviously. We go through the EBITDA nut calculations and we won't get into all those details, but basically his purchase price that he sold out for was just under $5 million. Now that was paid $3 million in cash at close and then some as a holdback for him to achieve certain growth thresholds and things like that. And then some of it in, in the equity rollover that you know can turn into a lot of money. But then his work back arrangement, he was making, he was on a set salary of 350000 a year. And that pretty much stayed the same for the four to five years he was expected to at least stay there for that practice or that group. So again, you're looking at making about $1.3 million down to $350,000. That's a big pay cut, but you got a big old lump sum of cash for that. Those are all the things that, that we try to go through with clients. I don't want to confuse anybody here. We are bread and butter still solo orthodontic practice. And so we deal with both. And I don't want anybody to think corporate's the only way to go because obviously there's a great living in both and, and we still advocate for both. When we were looking at the five-year plan for that doctor, again, you can change multiple little assumptions when you're going through how much will you make over the next five years? How much would you sell your practice for in five years? What does this equity rollover look like? That the in the OSO that uh, I got some equity in that OSO, they were fairly similar numbers in the grand scheme of things. What you you know again, what you start looking at is what are the tax rates that are involved? What is the potential? I think the equity rollover is one of the biggest things. If you're taking talking about taking a one million dollar equity rollover in this orthodontic group or OSO, and they're telling you, hey, we're pretty young, and in five years we think that will turn into five X. So you take that. That amount of money turns into five X. That's a nice deal. And if it turns over and rolls over a couple more times with different turns, those are nice little deals. Shane, you guys are in the wealth management, you know, business, and you, you start looking at too all the little things you can't really factor into and get exact calculations. But you know, if you're a doctor and, and you're being overwhelmed by some of the things you you don't want to do in your practice anymore, and if you can get a big lump sum like that and say you have three million dollars in the bank now, well, that's a pretty nice little passive income for you as a doctor that you're adding on to your, your salary to work back. So you do look at the analysis, I would again say over a five-year period, they look somewhat similar overall. It's just a matter of really what are the upsides if you continue to own your practice? Do you bring in other doctors? Do you expand and do this on your own? Because that's what a lot of our great practices are doing now. They're bringing in younger doctors and they're you know creating another location and 
they expect to double or more of the next. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question. Obviously, your your business is helping people transition, but uh, what are some of the I'll say symptoms that you might see or encounter that cause you to say, you know what, now is not the time to sell. You know, maybe you get a call from somebody. I heard I had a friend and they just sold out and blah blah blah. And I heard you guys are the guys. You get what I'm saying? What are some of the things you may say? You know what? You're right. They did get a good multiple, but you need to go back to the drawing board. You need to keep working on things or what I'm hearing in you just qualitatively. I don't think you're really ready for this. I think there's probably a lot of aspects to that, but people hear these rumors that sometimes aren't true or they only hear the the big one, right? And it's no secret the DSOs and OSOs will pay a lot of money for the right practice that that practice wants to join them and they're the large one in the state. And so don't get caught up in that hype. You know, some of those, again, as an example, we know a a doctor that, let's say, I think the production was right around 5 million for that practice or maybe more, but his overhead rate was like 42%. I mean, just unbelievably efficient practice. Well, I think he did get over five times revenue for his practice because he's also huge. He had two great locations. An associate was on board and wanted to stay with him. And so there was a lot of growth for that. So it was a crazy multiple. Now, if you're a practice that's average or, or a little bit smaller and your overhead's higher, really just being a partner is not really, they can, they can tell when they're talking to you, you know, or, or we can tell when we're talking to people, you're not going to get that same multiple. We've had practices that actually we had an $8 million practice that had about 85% overhead because of the way they operated. And the OSO said, man, you're great top line, but we can't do anything with you. Just remember, these are all very individualized offers. The multiples that they throw out for practices can range from three times EBITDA to eight times EBITDA. Obviously, eight times EBITDAs are the really nice, big growing practices. Remember too, that these OSOs and these groups, they have to have future return on their investment. And the way they do that is they pay 3x EBITDA for some, they pay 4x EBITDA for some, and then they grow organically and and become more efficient. Then they eventually sell out for a higher multiple because they're that much larger. So they can't pay eight times EBITDA for every practice. It depends on your situation. Some of these two, they don't accept Medicaid. So if you're, say, a Medicaid practice or a heavily involved insurance-type-based practice, some of them aren't interested in that. But I've had multiple doctors, when, when you talk to them, you can just tell they, they do not want to be, they are not the type that are going to be part of a DSO. So just be aware and be very honest about your own practice and know that these DSOs get very, very detailed in their due diligence. I mean, what they ask and what they want to see is a lot more than what we would typically ask or another doctor may ask because another doctor sort of knows how the business may be run. They have some experience. They're not overly concerned with certain things versus they're going to ask a lot of questions and make sure they understand your practice. If you don't know how your practice management system operates or you're on paper charting still, you're probably not a candidate for this. So, you know, get your house in order. Really think about why you're doing this or your right fit for them and be honest with yourself about at the end of the day, this is, it's not always about the numbers, but the offers that they're throwing out are based upon the numbers. Yeah. Big checks come with big questions. Yes. The, the saying that we give, I guess, as we get ready to wrap up here, Doug, these transactions can take time, whether it's doctor to doctor or corporate sale, there's some runway required. We're recording this really at the beginning of June in 2021. And I'm thinking there's also a lot of overlay and rumor about uh, a change in tax rates in next year. Are you seeing everybody kind of lining up for a flurry of transactions before the end of 2021 here? 
you know, that's what we're afraid of. <laughs> and I mean, we're happy to, to do that. But yes, we think that's coming. And uh, everybody's talking about it. If, unless you've somehow been able to avoid all financial news over the last months, it's very well known that a tax, tax increase is coming. You know, nobody knows exactly what that's going to be. It's pretty certain that 2022 tax rates will be higher than what they are in 2021. What we're telling our clients, whether you're thinking about doing a transaction with a single doctor or you're going to thinking about doing a transaction with an OSO, anytime in 2022, you really need to look at the tax consequences of doing it this year versus doing it next year. Shane, I don't know what you guys are hearing, but just to give a very quick summary of, of the two big tax rates changes that we're hearing is that ordinary income tax rate, the highest rate will go from 37% federal to 39.6% federal tax rate, and that will likely be any income over $400,000. So you really can't avoid that. That's going to happen. But the capital gains tax rate is the big one. And correct me if you hear if you've heard anything differently. My understanding is the change would be if anybody with income of over $1 million, the capital gains rate would go from the 20%, highest capital gains rate right now is 20%, to ordinary income tax rates, which would be 39.6%. That's basically a doubling of the capital gains tax rate for over $1 million of income. Well, these transactions, a lot of times are well over a million dollars. And so if you're talking about, say, you're going to have a $2 million transaction and that be at a 20% higher tax rate, that's a $400,000 hit to your taxes. Then you have to step back and say, how much longer do I have to work in 2022 or beyond to make up that amount of after-tax proceeds. You can make up $400,000 in after-tax proceeds. What do you have to make? $700,000 or so at those higher tax rates, at least. So those are really big deals. And like you said, these things take time. You can't walk in one day and say, hey, I want to sell my practice and three weeks later expect to be done. You're not selling a house, you're not selling a car or any type of widget that has a very easy um, market value or something you can assess very quickly. These are very unique businesses that are personal relationships. They're all slightly different. You're trying to understand how the treatment works, not just, you know, so many different aspects of it, you know, the location, the, the building, the equipment, the staff levels, you know, what are the relationships there? What type of treatment are you doing? Do I, you know, am I doing, you know, aligners that I don't, that I as a buyer can't do or don't know how to do? So there's so many different aspects in that. And so even if you find the buyer quickly, we typically say it's going to take four to six months to get this completed. So I think everybody owes it to themselves to really consider getting it done sooner rather than later. Again, if you're thinking about three to five years, I'm going to do a transaction. Well, that's not going to affect anything. But if you're thinking, I want to do a transaction in the next 12 to 18 months, you probably want to put it into 2021. And even uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong, Shane, but even with the capital gains rates, I heard that could be the one thing that's different, that they could actually make that effective when the law goes into place. So like if this were passed in, say, in the fall in October or so, they're actually saying that there, it could be a chance that any transactions after that date are subject to the higher capital gains rates. I don't know if you've heard that or not, but I can't imagine that happening. But uh, again, the sooner the better with this to make sure you start locking those, in, locking those in. The underlying point here is if this is on your radar, you start assembling a really capable team of advisors, you know, between the tax advisor, your financial planner, your transition consultant, get the right team together. Because as I am a firm believer in the beauty of capitalism is that uh, if you tell me what the rules are, then I'll tell you how we're going to play the game. 
and there's always opportunity to, to be strategic and shrewd. So anyway, Doug, thanks for uh, being with us, giving us a little slice of your expertise and experience in the market. For anybody who wants to follow up with you directly, we'll put contact information to your website in the show notes. But why don't you go ahead and give a shout out for your email address or, or how you'd like to be tracked down uh, for anybody who wants to find you. Yes, our website address is bensoncoppel.com. And my email address is doug at bensoncoppel.com. And that is at Benson with a T. So B-E-N-T-S-O-N. Very good. All right. Well, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, have a good day. Shane, thank you so much. It's a pleasure being here. Yep, absolutely. And thank you for joining us for another episode of Prosper Stock Podcast. We appreciate your, your participation. Welcome your reviews, feedback. You're welcome to email me directly, shane at whitecoatwell.com. If you have any questions or suggestions, or anybody in mind who might be a great guest on the show. We'd love to hear from you and certainly welcome your reviews on uh, iTunes and Google Play. We'll see you back here next time. This episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast is over, but you're not alone on your journey. Spa Dameron Tenney has been helping physicians and dentists prosper through financial planning for over 60 years. To connect with us, visit sdtplanning.com today and take your financial wellness to new levels. Join us on the next episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast.